Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. It's a great privilege of mine to be able to share something from God's Word this morning with you. And um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Paul and I'm part of the team here at, at King's Church Amersham. And uh, we've been looking together at the Sermon on the Mount and this week is the last in our series. But I'll come on to that at the moment because uh, this year, 2020, has been, I'm sure you'll agree with me, a challenging year. And we've missed out on many things. But one of the things that we've missed out back in the summer, which... Um, we only get to see four years, every four years, was, of course, the Olympics. And um, there was a day in 2012, which, if you cast your minds back, I'm sure some of you might remember. And it's a day that I think I'll remember for the rest of my life. That Super Saturday in the middle of the 2012 Olympics in London. And we've got a little video this morning just to show you as by way of an intro this morning. sure many of you will remember that that day and I, I wasn't there I watched it on the telly like many of you I'm sure but it felt like okay, and it felt like these folk were the real deal they were real heroes and uh, just the plaudits the press and for the next few days just there was this domination of this this amazing day in the media and of course these folk who achieved these amazing things um, they just received all this this um, media attention and of course the whole country was full of admiration for these people but there were a few people out there whilst watching, a uh, few maybe kids that were watching the Olympics and they were watching what happened and the thing that happened to them in their, in their hearts, in, in their minds, goes way beyond admiration. See, something, someone out there, there was a kid out there somewhere, I'm sure, watching Jess Ennis run, jump, leap, throw and while she was watching, he was watching, their hearts started pounding and their minds started racing, and they thought to themselves, you know, I want to do that. 
I can do that. This is going to be what I do. And whatever Jess Ennis is doing, I'm going to do that. And they weren't just admirers of Jess. In fact, they became followers and they dedicate themselves and they pursued that path. And I'm sure if this year the Olympics had gone on, we'd have seen some folk who, inspired by 2012, would have been competing and performing. Now, I wasn't in that category, I'm sure like many of you. I applauded what Jess did, and, but it didn't really change my life. I hadn't been for a run for a while, as you can probably tell. And I'm very much an admirer of TV sport, particularly athletics, but I'm not really a follower. And there's a big difference. See, an admirer is impressed, and a follower is devoted. An admirer applauds, and a follower, well, effectively, they surrender their life. They assume a, le a level of dedication. Now, there are many people, as we look back in history, who have been those that have influenced. And you get to choose whether you admire or whether you follow them. A lot of people admired Mother Teresa, but not many people followed her to live among the destitute and the dying. And the truth is, many people have admired Jesus and his teachings, but only a few have ever devoted themselves to him. And I say this today because, as I said before, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus gave this talk that changed the world, there were two groups of people that were listening to him. At the beginning of it, we're told, there was a crowd. He went up to the mountainside, and the disciples came with him, and he began to talk. And one group there was the crowd, and they were very impressed by Jesus. In fact, when we reach the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we are told that their response was like this. It says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The whole crowd admired Jesus. But while he was teaching, something happened in a few people's hearts that went way beyond admiration. Their hearts started pounding and their minds started racing and something deep inside of them said, this is it. This is what I've been longing for. This is, this is life. This is the life I'm looking for, and I, and I never realized. And to be cleansed from sin, to be forgiven for all the things that are rubbish in my life, to know God, to have a life beyond worry, to, to not be a slave to unhealthy habits, to, to be part of God's cause to redeem the world, to have confidence beyond the grave, to not be afraid of death anymore. I have to have this. This is what I choose. I'd rather have this than anything else. I would rather give up everything to have this. Therefore, therefore, I'll pay the price. I don't care. Whatever he wants me to do, wherever he wants me to go, whatever he wants me to say, whatever he wants me to give, wherever he wants me to be, I'm in. And today, Jesus asks effectively the same question of us. Are we to be admirers or are we to be followers? Jesus knew that his presence, his life, his words, this would have an impact on a few people. And he's constantly calling us to make this decision, to decide if we will move from being an admirer to being a follower. He's calling people to choose. In scriptures, we see this on many occasions. In John 3, we see the Pharisee named Nicodemus. And 
He's a religious leader and he comes and we're told in the text he came to Jesus in the night because he didn't want to be seen by too many people. And he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could do the miracles of God if, if he was not with them. But he says, well, what do I do? What, what, what do I do? And Jesus says to him, you know, follow me. But he didn't want to lose his, risk losing his religious status, so he came sneakily, if you like, and he came on the choir. But Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must become my follower. You must, you must allow my spirit to remake you. You must publicly identify with me. You're going to have to give up you know, you have to give up some of that status and a few things. And Nicodemus, well, he does this. He says, well, it says this in later on in Scripture that Nicodemus, when Jesus dies, he, he claims his body and he places him in the tomb. And he, he becomes an admirer, not just a follower. And then we're told of another young man, a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And he went up to Jesus and he, he fell on his knees before him. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, he's an admirer of Jesus and he falls on his knees before him and he says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says to him, well, go and sell all your possessions, change your lifestyle, give everything away, bless the poor, come follow me. And the rich young ruler, we're told, it turned away sad. But he was ready to admire Jesus, but to follow Jesus, well, that would in fear interfere just a little bit too much with his lifestyle. And there was a line that Jesus drew, if you like, in the sand, and he wasn't prepared to go that far. And Jesus does this continually with people through scriptures we see it. He presents them a question, are you going to follow me or are you just going to admire me? And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing the kind of life, the life of blessing. Blessed are you, blessed are you, he says. Blessed are you if, if you want it. Even you who thought you were a million miles away from God, you can be blessed. The blessing is yours if you want it. Here's what it... But here's the thing. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you want this life, here's he obtain it. You enter through a narrow gate. So what is the narrow way? Simply, Jesus says, you know, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Love me, surrender to me, trust in me, abide in me. Devote yourself to me. Without reservation, hold nothing back. That's the narrow way. What's the broad way, you might say? That's the way of the crowd, the path of least resistance. Admire Jesus, sure, but reserve Reserve the right to do, to do whatever you want to do when push comes to shove. That sounds strong. But if we look at this last closing passage, we'll see there's no third category in any of the explanations Jesus gives. There's no, there's no room for a half-hearted approach to this. The end of the Sermon on Mount climaxes, if you like, with these series of pictures that Jesus gives. And every one of them involves a stark contrast where people are forced to choose. There's a narrow gate and a wide gate. No third gate. There's a narrow road and a broad road, but no third road. There's a good tree and a bad tree, no third tree. 
There's true disciples and false disciples. No third category. There's a house built on a rock and a house built on sand. No third house. People who do what Jesus says and people who hear and know but don't seek to do. And it comes down to the question, are you going to be a follower or an admirer? And I've been thinking a lot about admiring. I've been thinking a lot about what the admirer category likes, if you like, looks like. Because I think it's fairly common, even in the church, actually. And I want to focus and sharpen this, maybe for a few moments, as much as I can. And this might feel strong, but... See, a lot of people have asked, do you believe in Jesus? And they would say, yeah, well, mostly, yeah, sure, I believe. In my own way. And they may go to church, maybe, for years. And they may volunteer sometimes. And they may even give stuff. But if getting too close to Jesus would mean, would mean risking something like, like success at work or changing a lifestyle or, or maybe humbling themselves to, to get help with, say, a painful marriage or, or a difficult relationship or getting serious about, about Scripture or, or changing their lives, maybe getting help with anger that, or some habit they have. Well, deep down, there's a place in their soul that says, no, 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 thank you. And they want actually to be able to say, hands off, God, God, actually, this is my life. I make those decisions. So they try and maintain a certain distance between them and Jesus. And of course, there's a flip side, though, that, that if the distance seems to get too big and they slip up in a really big way, then they might they might come to church a little more often and they might give a little extra money and they might not let the gap too, get too great because that would feel uncomfortable. But they won't let him too close because that might cost them. And, and often these folk are, are kind of like spiritual chameleons. They, they can talk the Jesus talk, but in another setting, maybe, maybe on business or a school or something else, they clearly do not stand with Jesus. And they do whatever they need to do to fit in with the crowd. And sometimes, actually sometimes they can even feel a little bit superior because they, because they need a fit, need a place. And they just float above, just slightly distant. And they generally rationalize their devotion. Sometimes it will look like this and they'll find a really fired up Christian somewhere who's quite imperfect. And there are a lot of those. It's not too hard to find one. And they would say, they say to themselves, you know, if I was all fired up spiritually, if I would be self-righteous like that person, or I'd be hypocritical like that person, or I'd be flawed like this person, and I don't want to do that. So I'll just stay where I am. That might have felt quite harsh this morning. Maybe it is. And I know it's not easy sometimes, but the question is this. The question is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you just an admirer? Let me give you an illustration and um, it may be something you've heard before. Um, there's a word, it's, it's an English language, it's, it's quite an interesting word, a funambulist. A funambulist is, is somebody who walks tightrope. So maybe you've come across this word before. And there was, there was a man uh, lived about 120 years ago, 100 years ago. And his name was um, Charles Blondin. And he traveled, um, traveled to the USA from overseas. And he was obsessed with the Niagara Falls. 
And he wanted to cross the Niagara Falls on a rope. And he actually strung this rope across the Niagara Falls 1,100 feet, 160 feet above Niagara Falls. And he was going to cross from one side to the other. And he did this. And he did it many occasions in different ways, in all different ways. And 100,000 people gathered to watch him one day cross this tightrope. And it seems like it's a life or death moment and he had no safety net and he crossed over and tons of people applauded him, admired him, clapped their hands. And so he did it again and he crossed over and he, with a camera in his hand and he took a picture of the crowd once he was in the middle. And then he, another time he went over with a chair and he balanced the chair on the rope and he, he stood there on this chair before the crowd. Another time he fixed an omelette, I think, on a stove in the middle of the rope and then dropped it onto the boat waiting below for them to eat. And the crowds go crazy. And then... And then he came to the crowds at one edge and he stood before the crowd and he said, okay, now I'm going to go over with a wheelbarrow and I'd like someone to get in the wheelbarrow and go over with me. And he got real quiet. Really, really quiet. And 100,000 people were deathly silent. But one man, one man named Henry Colcord, he got into the wheelbarrow. He'd seen him do this trick a hundred times before. So he got into the wheelbarrow and he went inch by inch, step by step. Can you imagine? In a wheelbarrow, being steered by somebody else across the Niagara Falls. And the crowd went crazy and they applauded again. But none of the crowd dared get in the wheelbarrow. Everybody applauded Blondin. But only one man trusted him. And they walked, they went on, well... Neither one of them would ever forget, I guess. When Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, everyone was amazed. But Jesus wasn't interested in their amazement. Jesus never went up to people and said, admire me. He just said, follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, deny the cross, sorry, deny themselves, take up the cross, follow me, get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. And here's the question. Have you wholly devoted yourself to following Jesus? Not do you admire him, not do you believe in him. Are you a follower? Because this is the, this is the biggest decision of your life. See, in the wheelbarrow, not only does you, your life go in there, but your sin goes in there, your guilt goes in there. And I... I'm aware that for a lot of people, when confronted with this challenge, that they'll feel deep inside that I've got some sin, I've got some guilt, I've got, I'm not a spiritual giant, I'm not spiritual enough to be a follower of Jesus, I've got things that would exclude me from doing that, from being a disciple, from being a follower. I'm not there yet. I think that the words of Dallas Willard are really helpful here. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner even if only a beginner. Even if only a beginner. See, I've been at this a while, being a follower, and the truth be told, often I feel like a beginner. And I feel at times like I'm just not good enough or I've not got it sorted enough to be a follower. But remember this, as we look back on the Sermon Amount, and I'd really encourage you to read the entirety of it today at some point. Read those three chapters in one entirety. But Jesus comes to the Sermon on the Mount and says, you know, you know, your sin, you may think it's this, but it's much worse than you thought. You thought you shouldn't murder. 
meant, well, basically, as long as you didn't kill somebody, then you would be okay with God. But the truth is, your heart is all messed up. It's a melting pot of anger, of vengeance, and it leaks out and it messes up your life. You thought that, you thought that no adultery, well, as long as you didn't sleep with, with a friend's spouse, then that would be okay. But the truth is, your heart is a mismanaged place of desire, lust, and at times it's out of control. And you have a sin problem like the Niagara Falls. And you can't clean that up. But, he says, but I can. I can take care of that. I'll die on a cross. I will put your sins on my back and I will take you to the other side where, where you could never get on your own. A place that you could never get on your own. I'll pay your debt. I'll wipe the slate clean. Just put it all in the wheelbarrow with me. Let's go. And then he also invites you, he says, put your present and your future in there as well. Your energy, your resources, your money, your savings, your, your security, they all go in there. Your life isn't about piling those things up. The relationships you have, your emotions, your allegiance, your language. Now, of course, we all say, I can't do that. I can't live a life just like Jesus. But Jesus knows that. That's why he says, come with me let me live my life in you and through you. Together we'll give this a go, not on your own. I was trying to think of an illustration about this the other day, and maybe this is helpful. I haven't actually cleared this with Jane, so that's my wife. So, um, but just occasionally we go on a journey together, and uh, we've been doing a few journeys recently down to Winchester to, to our daughter who's at university there. And occasionally we disagree about which way to go. Hard to believe, I know, but that does happen. And we have a sat-nav in the car, and... From time to time, we do actually use it, and um, it gives us a guide or a plan for the journey. Sometimes, though, as we're going on the journey with the sat-nav, I decide that um, I think the sat-nav might be, well, taking us the wrong way or the longer way, and so I make a few changes to our route, and um, we decide to go a different way, or I decide to go a different way, I should say. I don't trust the route that's planned, and, um, of course, we don't follow it. And then usually what we find out is my quicker way or my alternative way, there was a good reason that the sat-nav wasn't taking us that way was because there was a traffic jam or something like that, which Jane obviously knew all along. And of course, she doesn't mention it when we're having the, the journey. But here's the thing. When the sat-nav, when we go the wrong way, the sat-nav, the way that it says not to go, but when we go there, the sat-nav doesn't say, because we usually have to turn back it back on and, and then follow the directions it gives. It doesn't say to us, well, that was stupid. What do you think you're doing? I'm not going to tell you the way to go now. It doesn't say that, ever. In fact, what it says to us generally is, okay, recalculating, and now we're going to go this way. It doesn't say, well, I've told you so many times now, why didn't you believe me? You're on your own, buddy. It doesn't say that. It just says every time, okay, recalculating, we'll find our way. And it doesn't always take us back to where we, the place we were so that we might take the same journey again. Usually, actually, it takes us in a different way, but the destination is still the same. You know, I think it's a helpful illustration in some respects of our life as a follower. As soon as you're ready to listen, as soon as you're ready to surrender, God says, here's the way. Here's the way home. Execute a U-turn, which is repentance, and I'll bring you home. That's his grace. 
That's Jesus. And he's the only one with authoritative wisdom about how to live. He's the only one who gives us a possibility of forgiveness of the life of the sin of you and mine. He's, He's the only one who provides a realistic hope of conquering death or life beyond the grave. And the question is, once we read the Sermon on the Mount, once we invest, listen to this stuff, why wouldn't we give our life, why wouldn't we devote our lives to this man? And he doesn't present himself as good, as a spiritual teacher to be admired from a distance. He presents himself as a master, as a Lord, as the one to be followed, to be served, to be obeyed and worshipped. It's a binary thing. There's his way, and there's no other way. He is it. And if the Sermon Mount tells us one thing, it's that. You need to know this. He says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says that one day all of humanity will be in one of two camps. Those who follow him and those who reject him. There's no third option, no third gate, no third house. There'll be no nice, polite, respectable, successful distance keepers who admire him from afar but withhold their devotion. And the question that he leaves us with in this particular passage And the question that he leaves us with today is, where will you be? And for each of us, there is a choice, and we get to decide. So I'm going to ask us for a few moments now, maybe to think again on this. Perhaps bow your heads, close your eyes. Spend a few moments to talk to God. Perhaps the Holy Spirit might be prompting you now, challenging your heart, pointing out areas in our lives where perhaps we've not given those over. Or perhaps today you've never committed your life as a follower to Jesus. Perhaps you've never never asked him to lead you. You've never confessed your sin and repented. Well, this is an opportunity now, and I want to give us the opportunity now to express it briefly. And this might be a bit weird, but perhaps today, wherever you are, you might want to just stand up in the place or the place you are. It's a way of saying with your body, God, I'm, I'm coming out of the crowd, if you like, crossing the line from admirer to follower. I've never fully devoted my life to following Jesus or express that to you, and I'm, I'm doing that to you today. Hannah and Tom and the team now are just going to come and bring some music to us. But this is just between you and God. When you make this decision, and it's the most important decision, if you like, that a human being can ever make. All right, God, my life, my time, everything I have, who I am, it's all yours. Let's start a journey together. Coming out of the crowd to be a disciple, to be a follower. 
Lord, I am full of admiration, you Father, but I want to be a follower. I want to be more than that. of the Sermon on the Mount says when Jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were amazed at his teaching perhaps you've been amazed at the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount perhaps you've never seen it or you've never read it or you've never looked at it I'd encourage you to look at it again today if this is the first time you've come to it and at the end of it you decide and if you've made a decision to decide today then we'd love to hear from you love to chat with you and you can email us in or call the office and that would be fantastic and we can we can just help you in that in that first steps of being a follower of journeying with Christ last thing to say known a follower of Jesus who's been disappointed in the journey it might have been tough it might have been incredibly difficult at times but if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time you'll know that there's there's nothing but Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.